it's about the raising of Lazarus. So while we have Happy Resurrection Day, we're talking about the resurrection of Lazarus. Okay. And I'm reading from the NIV. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So when he, then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. 
But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out of his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. Thanks for the reading of the word. Wonderful blessing to have another baby added to our church family. This morning, um, we gathered for prayer before the service, and as Tim always does, uh, to intercede for the morning and for all of us. And uh, in walks my grandson, Gabriel, and he sits down next to Tim, and he folds his hands. And Tim stopped, and Gabriel started praying. And God... Help us to be good and help us not to be bad in Jesus' name. (laughs) And Tim looked at me and he had tears in his eyes and he said, that's what it's all about. So if you want to join us for prayer or send your children, that might be even better because God loves the simple prayers of a child. He answers those. Today we're going to talk about relationships. We're going to talk about hope. Of the resurrection. Hope is something that we desperately need in our world today, isn't it? People are dying for lack of hope. It doesn't matter how well you are physically, if you're not well inside, if you don't have peace, if you're not free from the torment and agony of a soul that's troubled, it doesn't matter how well you are, or how much you own, or what your relationships are. You need peace that comes through Jesus Christ. He is our peace, as the apostle tells us. He himself has made that peace through the cross. And that gives us hope. We're going to talk about life and death. We're going to talk about expectations that all of us have seen in Mary and Martha. And our disappointments with God at times. And most of all, we're going to talk about this person of Jesus. Because... He's the answer. It's not a doctrine or a religion. It's a personal relationship with Jesus that makes all the difference in our lives. A Savior who is alive and who really is attentive and on time in our every need. And we're going to talk about deliverance. So it's about this story of Lazarus and his sisters Mary and Martha. Now, there was a certain man. God always deals with certain people, individuals. You are important to God. And he makes that clear by how many times he refers to the individual throughout the big story. I mean, he comes to redeem the world, but he does it one person at a time. And this guy was sick. The Bible tells us that we're all 
subject to the elements, right? This is a fallen world and we get sick and we suffer and oftentimes that sickness doesn't get better. In Lazarus' case, he dies. The Bible tells us that life is like a vapor from a tea kettle. It's here today and then it dissipates and it's gone. Or Peter tells us it's like a flower of the grass. It's beautiful today, but tomorrow it fades like the daffodils will soon do or the crocuses. Life is short. It's fragile, but it's so important to us. We want to hold on to life, right? This is this is all we have. This is all we know. This is our perspective, our world. And we want to keep our world together and we want to we want to squeeze out every bit of life that we can. How do we do that? Well, when he gets sick, um, sisters call for the great physician. Now, one of these sisters is Mary. Mary is the famous of the three. Oh, yeah, Lazarus is famous because he dies and he's risen again. But Mary, she's the one who in one more chapter in this whole saga of events that leave up to, lead up to the Passion Week, right there now on the brink, she's the one that comes in while Jesus is speaking and she kneels at his feet and she puts down her hair. She breaks open this alabaster jar of expensive spikenard perfume that was worth about a year's wages at the time. And she pours it out upon his feet and she wipes his feet with her hair. I mean, is that an act of humility and worship and love or what? Yeah, he was her friend as he was with Martha and Lazarus, those he loved. But the closer she got to Jesus, the more she realized the reality that this is not a man. This is God in the flesh who deserves my worship. And that's what she, you get close to me and you see my wrinkles. And you say, <laughs> I used to think he was, but now I know who he really is. But the closer you get to Jesus, you magnify and you look at his face and all you see is the glory of God embodied in human flesh. The perfect son of God right there in their midst. They clung to him and he built relationships with them. They were his friends. He would stay at their house in Bethany. They were hospitable. They loved him and they had a relationship with him. So when brother gets sick and his life is sort of waning and ebbing away, they call for the great physician, their friend. And I love the way they say this. They, they, they send message to Jesus and, and they say, the one whom you love is sick. See that in verse three? They're, they're using that right as a leverage, as a motive and incentive to Jesus. He's the one you love. Remember now. So whatever you're doing, Jesus, drop everything and come because the one you love is sick. What does Jesus do? Jesus diagnoses and reveals the purpose for the sickness. He says it's for the glory of God. He says that this sickness will not end in death. He diagnoses from a distance. He's not there, but it shows again the omniscience of God in the flesh that he knows and that there is a greater purpose for this event. Now, sometimes people are sick because they deserve it, like the 
man at the pool of Bethesda, when after Jesus healed him, he says, "Go and don't do that anymore. Stop sinning." But but in this case, it's for the glory of God. When we get sick, we wonder what caused this. Did I do something to deserve this? Well, the bottom line is, yeah, I probably did. But not all sickness is for punishment, but it's for the glory of God because God is to be exalted in all things and he uses suffering for his glory and to teach us about himself. He wants to teach them about himself in this situation. He wants people to see who he really is, that the son of God might be glorified. So here's Mary and Martha. I'm sure after they sent word to Jesus through this messenger, I must say, Jesus is near the Jordan River where John had initially started baptizing the son, just west of Jerusalem. So he's a a bit of a distance away and they're sort of in seclusion because in his previous event, just prior to this, the Jews had taken up stones to kill him because he had declared himself to be the son of God. And in their minds, of course, this is blasphemy, a sin worthy of death. And so they were very justified if this was false to kill him right then and there. Well, Jesus and his disciples slipped away and they went there out into the wilderness by where John had been baptizing. And there they are waiting while word comes to them. Mary and Martha, I'm sure, are at the window with their nose pressed waiting. Okay, the one whom Jesus loves is sick. Jesus has gotten word. Probably he's going to come anytime. I'm going to see him coming over the crest of the hill. Day one passes. No Jesus. Day two. No Jesus. Where's Jesus? What does it say? Jesus waits two more days. Doing whatever he's doing. Which certainly couldn't have been more important than what they needed him for. But he deliberately hangs out for two days. This is the response of Jesus. It it appears like a passive response. Like if he really loves him, would he just linger and wait? If, If you had the cure to someone's illness in your pocket and you knew that they were sick and you had the means to get there, would you wait two more days? I dare say not. That's not actually a sign that you love them. It's a sign that you're more consumed with whatever you're doing, distracted. So they're waiting. And then in a couple days, Jesus announces it's time to go. Okay, now it's time for us to go back to Judea. Now it's time. Timing is everything. In Christ's mind, he's setting the stage. God's perspective on timing is not ours. We want him to jump through our hoops. We want him to come when we call. We want immediate gratification, immediate deliverance from whatever it is that's hurting us. We want relief from the pain and the situation that we're in. It might not be for us. It might be for the one we love. But we want God to answer in our time the way we want him to answer, right? That's how we are. But something else is going on here, and Jesus doesn't send word back through the messenger and say, tell him I'll be there. It might not be for a little while. Tell him everything's cool. He's not going to die. 
I got everything under control. Just set their minds at ease and comfort them that I am in control and I'll take care of things when I get there. He doesn't say that. And he doesn't tell us that when we're hurting. There's a lot of waiting that goes on in the Christian life, isn't there? And you're like, where are you, God, now? You know, I've been praying and nothing is happening. He doesn't relieve their minds at all. He just lingers. So when he announces it's time to go, he gets some pushback from his disciples. No, Jesus, are you kidding? We were just there. Remember, the Jews just were going to kill you. They'd taken up stones. They were serious about this. Now you want us to go back to the same place? We'll die. And Jesus makes this remark, which sounds kind of sort of weird at first. He says, if a person walks during the daylight, they've got 12 hours of daylight, they won't stumble. But if someone walks in the dark, they will stumble. In other words, he's saying metaphorically, if you're walking in the light of God's will, informed by God's word, you are in the safest place possible. You don't have to worry about what others will do. But if you're trying to manipulate your life and you're trying to live life according to your own understanding and figure things out for yourself, apart from God's word and wisdom, then you're not very safe. It doesn't matter how well you hide, you're not very safe. So walk in the light. Jesus declares that it's far more important to preserve physical life and to maintain safety, that the will of God is the thing that he calls us to live. And and it's interesting here because Jesus is now dealing with life and death, right? And he's getting ready in just a very short time to march into Jerusalem and to hand himself over to lay down his life for us. And he's going to show them in a very pointed image that life is in his hands, that he lays it down and he takes it up again because he is Lord, right? So he says to the disciples, let's go. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I will go and I will waken him out of his sleep. Verse 11. And of course, the disciples say, well, Lord, if he's just sleeping, then you know, do you really want to risk our lives for someone who's going to wake up? And I mean, this is not that critical on the urgent need list. It's kind of like down here. Stick him out in the waiting room for three or four hours, you know, like all of us have experienced. It's not that important. He's going to wake up. Do we want to die over this? To which Jesus says, okay, let me make this clear to you. Lazarus is dead. But for your sakes, I'm glad that I wasn't there because I want you to see something about me. And that's what this is all about. This whole thing is going to point to the identity of Jesus. So... Four days later, he arrives, four days later, he arrives in Bethany. He is late. And there the Jews are consoling Mary and Martha. They're all around. And I wouldn't have wanted to be in Jesus' shoes. 
this point. Frankly, Mary hears that he's coming, and before he even arrives, she gets on her sneakers and she runs to Jesus. And she is, I think, and I'm speculating here, I think she's pretty mad. It's been four days, Jesus. I mean, this is love. You are the great physician. You're four days late. And, and the first thing she says when she sees him, I'm sure she pointed her finger at him and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She's blaming Jesus for the death. You could have done something about it, but you didn't. So it's your fault, Lord. And then she adds, but even now, I know that if you ask your father, he'll give you all things. Well, my friends, how often do we blame God for our suffering? Right. For our situation. If you are God and you are good and you really love me like the Bible says you do and everyone tells me you do, then why am I suffering like this? Why is there so much pain in my life, so much confusion, so much difficulty? It seems like I cannot get up and you push me back down. Why, Lord, is that love? Jesus gets blamed for a lot of things, doesn't he? We blame him. And yet, what does Jesus do? He redirects Martha. And he says, Martha, your brother will rise again. To which Martha says, I know that he's going to rise again. Jesus said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, which is Lazarus's condition, yet shall he live. And whoever lives her condition and believes in me shall never die. The resurrection and the life are found where? Not in a creed, not in a religious writing. In a person, in the person of Jesus, he is life. He is the author of life. He spoke and all things came into existence and he breathed life into human form. And we became created in the image of God. Jesus is the essence of life. He says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. He's your life. So, we don't come to a dead religion. We don't come to a creed. We come to a person when we come to Christ. And our life is linked with Him, inseparably linked with the risen Christ who said, I am. I am the all-existent, ever-existent One who is your God. Jesus is a resurrection and he is the life. And the reward of believing is that even though you die, you shall live. There is a resurrection promised. That to be absent from the body for the believer in Jesus is to be in the presence of the Lord. That the living will never taste death. That the sting of death has been removed. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? It's not a victory any longer because Jesus Christ has given us life. Life from an eternal perspective 
versus life from Martha's perspective of a temporal nature. It was just a few years ago that a mom called me uh, and asked me to meet with her son. She said he had a lot of questions. He's only eight years old. I thought, well, I can probably handle questions of an eight-year-old. He was in our Sunday school class, but he just had some things that were lingering. And he'd been talking to his mother, and she said, you know, I think you better talk to the pastor. We got together. We met right up here in this classroom before Sunday school. And he says to me, what happens when I die? So I told him about heaven. He says, tell me more. What is heaven like? And so I went to Revelation. I told him about the streets of gold and about being with Jesus in his presence and, and, and no more sickness and no more sorrow and no more pain and united with people. And there's, and there's none of the effects of sin. And that this is a beautiful thing that God has prepared for us. That Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us and he's going to come again and take us where to be with him. And he said, well, how can I make sure that I go to heaven? And so I explained to him the gospel. I said, you know, Noah, you know that you're a sinner, that you've done things that displease God. He said, yeah, I know. Do you know that Jesus Christ died for you? He says, yeah, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. So, so you receive him. You say, Lord, by faith, I, t- I take you into my heart and my life. And I want to believe on you right now. And the little boy bowed his head and prayed and asked Christ to come into his heart. I said, no, you've got eternal life. That's the gift of God. So it wasn't much longer, too many months later, that a tragic event happened and Noah was hit by a car. He's got to experience the heaven that Christ has prepared. So the question that Jesus turns on Mary is the question that I asked Noah. Do you believe this? That Jesus is the Christ Mary's response is, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. In that statement, she declares that he is the one the scriptures spoke of, the Messiah, that God had prepared. In his orchestrated plan from all eternity, that he would reconcile us to himself through the death of his son. Jesus is the one spoken of by Isaiah when it says, Surely he bore our griefs and our sorrows he carried. We esteemed him stricken and smitten of God. We thought that he was a criminal. 
but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourgings, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. It's speaking of this one whom Martha declares, I know that you are the Christ that was spoken of throughout the scriptures. You're him. I know that you're the son of God who has come into the world. That is, that you pre-existed. You lived with God. You are the incarnation. You came down. You, didn't, you weren't just born, but you came down to earth on a mission. And your mission was to save us. She declares her heart, and she's spot on. And then she says, I better go get Mary because I don't know that... I mean, I'm speculating again. I I don't know that I'm really getting through to Jesus. See, I know all these things about my faith and who Jesus is, but I'm still hurting for my brother Lazarus. And so she sends word to Mary and says, the master, the teacher is asking for you. And and so Mary gets up out of the house where she is and she runs and the Jews that are with her. They they see her getting up and they think that she's. She's going to the tomb and they follow her, but she goes to where Jesus is. And what does Mary do? She falls at his feet in typical fashion of Mary. Oh, the heart of Mary. And she says the same, what I think was the same rehearsed line that she and her sister had talked about for these four days. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But but this time it's not accusatory and it's not assigning blame, it's a cry from her heart. Mary's got such a tender heart. And she falls at the feet of Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Jesus responds with weeping, with sympathy. It breaks his heart. He says, take me to the tomb. Take, Take me to the tomb. And as he is going to the tomb... His heart is breaking over the weeping of this dear friend, Mary. And I think that Jesus was weeping for more than just Mary. Yes, he is a sympathetic high priest who, although he knows what he's about to do, was going to bring great joy and deliverance. He also knows that time in between when you've prayed and you haven't heard anything. When something tragic happens in your life and it does it will he is there and he feels your pain with compassion but i think he also was weeping because he's about to look that tomb in the face and know that that symbolizes death and that death was caused by our sin our separation our act of rebellion against god That we have, in effect, shaken our fist at God and said, I want to do life my own way. I don't want to follow you. I don't want to be near you. I want to hide. I want to live by my own standards. All that has caused is what we are experiencing in culture and society today. With the breakdown of family, the dysfunction, all the anxiety and the depression and the hurt and the brokenness is a result of. Of our sin and living in a sinful world. 
Jesus came and he looked death and all of its effects in the face and he weeps because it has caused so much pain to us all for centuries. But he's going to change all that. The Jews are responding to his weeping. Some are saying, oh, how he loved him. Look, (laughs) he weeps for him. It's a sign of love. But there's others who are saying, if he's the great physician who opened the eyes of that blind man, where was he? And why didn't he do the same thing here? Skeptics, right? There's always skeptics. There's those who look at the love of Christ and see the compassion and others who look at the very same event and they say, yeah, right. Where was he if he think if he's really God? Make sure that you're not the skeptic. So now it's lesson time. Jesus is deeply moved within. It says in verse 38. Again, being deeply moved within, he comes to the tomb. Now, it was a cave, and there was a stone lying against it. And he sees the tomb and the stone, the dark place where Lazarus is, and he prepares words of deliverance. He says, remove the stone. Okay, here's Mary now and her response. Lord, It has been four days since my brother died. Are you sure that you want to roll away that stone? There will be a stench, Lord. This is the same Mary who said just in verse 22, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, he will give you. And now she's saying, whoa, 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 wait. I can, did I say Mary? No, this is, this is Martha. I can relate to her because on the one hand, I'm full of faith and I'm ready to go forward in the power of the Lord. And in the next breath, I'm like, ah, I don't know, Lord, you know, and doubt and fear takes over. Martha is human. Jesus addresses her doubt and says, didn't I say, Martha, that if you believe you will see the glory of God? Like, buck up, girl, you're about to see something That's going to blow you away. Lazarus, come forth. Before that, he prays. I don't want to skip the prayer because it's so important. He says, Lord, I thank you, Father, that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me because of the, but because of the prayer, the the people around me, I am at. I said this so that they may believe that you sent me. And so there's like this parenthetical thing. I'm praying, Lord, so that they can see that we are related to one another and that you respond to the prayers of your son. And then he gives the command, Lazarus, come forth. Unbind him and let him go. And in this deliverance, we see that the stone is removed We see that Lazarus comes forth and he is bound from head to foot in these rags around him. And he instructs others to help him in the deliverance. 
unbind him and let him go. The Lord uses us, right, in the unbinding of others. As those who need to have others come alongside, we are not to criticize and judge one another. We are to help each other be set free as the freedom comes in Christ. We are his children and servants to to help to make that happen. So he instructs others in the deliverance. And we see the result in verse 45. Many believed in him. Embracing him as Lord and Savior. But some, this is the other group, they go to the Pharisees and they told them the things that Jesus had done. In other words, they snitched on Jesus because they knew that the Pharisees weren't happy with Jesus. They were the skeptics. They were the ones who were looking for Jesus to do something that would get him in trouble. I ask you the question this morning, which group are you? Are you those who will see the work of Christ and say, Lord, you are the son of God, the savior, the Messiah who's come into the world. You are my Messiah. Will you do that today? If you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as your savior, what does he expect of you? Not to jump through any hoops Not to climb any ladder, not to climb any mountain, not to achieve on your own merits a salvation that you cannot acquire. He asks you to simply believe that Jesus is the Christ who came into the world to take your sins upon him. He who knew no sin, who was the perfect lamb of God, laid down his life for you, taking your sins upon himself. And offered himself there on the cross as the sacrifice for our sins. God received that sacrifice. And now everyone who believes in Jesus is given the gift of eternal life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. I ask you the question today. Do you believe this? Like my little buddy Noah, life is fragile. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. He was just out playing beside the road. This ball happened to go across the street. Life brings some very serious consequences. Are you ready to meet him? Jesus offers eternal life to all who believe. I thought it strange that an eight-year-old had such deep questions. But I know now that God was preparing his heart for something greater. I think God's preparing your heart as well. If you're here this morning and you've never received Christ as your Savior, today is the day when you make that decision. Don't leave this morning without receiving Jesus Christ and coming to faith in him. As we bow our heads, I'm going to ask you that if you're here this morning and you've never received Christ as your Savior, but today is the day when you make that decision, I'd like you just to slip up your hand. This is the time between you and God. 
to decide that you're going to accept Christ for yourself. Thank you. God bless you. I will stay around up here in front. Maybe one or two other elders will join me. And if you would like prayer for anything in your life, or you would like to receive Christ as your Savior, please come up and share with us. We will pray with you. Father God, we thank you for your love and grace. We thank you that we come to a Savior who has loved us so much that he has laid down his life for us. We thank you, Lord, that you are always on time and that you are teaching us the more important events, that you are God in the flesh, that you have laid down your life and you have taken it up again, that you ever lived to make intercession for us, that you are our present Lord and Savior. We thank you, Lord God, for the life that we have in Christ and for the great hope that we enjoy as believers in Jesus Christ. That to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we thank you, Father, for all those who have gone ahead of us. And we look forward to one day joining them in glory and being united with you. In Jesus' name, amen.